Welcome to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has served at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts from around the globe and around all aspects of drugs and addiction. Today's episode is sponsored by Isaac, the International Academy on the Science and Impact of Cannabis. Visit their website at isaacone.org, I-A-S-I-C-1.org, to follow the science on marijuana. Friends, fentanyl is plaguing America. There is no safe drug supply unless it comes from a legal pharmacy. If you are around anyone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. Come visit me on hightruths.com to learn more about the show, submit a question, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Hello again, High Truth listeners. Get ready for a worldly conversation. I'm your host, Dr. Roni Lev. Worldly, as in affecting the entire world. World wars were fought because of drugs. China went to battle with Great Britain in the first opium war from 1839 to 1842. They lost. For China, the issue was addiction and harms to their population. China was the greatest importer of opium, and at the peak of the opium trade, nearly 25% or one in four adult men used opium. For Britain and France, the issue was economical. In 1880, British India derived 14% of their state income from the opium monopoly. China went back to the battlefield in 1856 to 1860 with a second opium war against Great Britain and now France joining. They lost again. So what happens when you lose? They say, if you can't beat them, join them. China got into the opium business. They produced their own opium and taxed the imports. By 1909, opium was responsible for 14% of China's income. Things have turned around in 100 years. Today, China is the greatest exporter of fentanyl precursors, while they themselves do not have a fentanyl problem. We in North America are now the greatest importers of opioids, mostly coming from China and resulting in 170 deaths a day. The issue of opium got world leaders together in 1909 with diplomacy rather than war. The first international conference to discuss the world's narcotic problems was held at the Shanghai Opium Commission. This set the stage for the first international opium convention of The Hague with a treaty signed in 1912 to curb shipments of narcotics not meant for medical purposes. The League of Nations and later the United Nations took charge over the narcotic commissions. Today, the supervision of international drug control treaties falls under the Commission of Narcotic Drugs, the CND, as established by ECOSOC, the Economic and Social Council of the United Nations. International drug policy can be effective. In 1906, 25 million people were using opium and 1.5% of the world's population. That number dropped to 0.2% in 2009. Sadly, we lost that positive trend. The United Nations 2023 World Drug Report shows that on a global level, drug use and addiction has increased in the past decade. 
We let things slip in terms of protecting youth and drug trafficking. And with that, let's hear our question of the day. Hi, Ronit. It's Linda Bridgman-Smith, and it was so nice to see you the other day. And I'm very glad to hear that you've got a podcast. So my question for you is one that I had when I was working for the County of San Diego in prevention, and that is, what is the United Nations position on recreational marijuana use and this widespread prevalent use of marijuana for medical issues, particularly amongst older people who may be taking prescribed medications for their medical conditions and now who are using marijuana instead or maybe um, together with their prescribed medication. I think that this is dangerous, and I am really curious about what the United Nations position on this might be. Thanks for your time, and uh, good luck. Linda, thank you so much for your question, but also your amazing friendship and mentorship over the years. You have been a very key figure in my personal journey in advocating and studying the opioid prescription problem and drugs in general. And you were instrumental in including vaping products in DEA Take Back Day by leading the project in San Diego. I love you and will always be grateful for your guidance. To answer your question, I invited someone we both know real well from San Diego who has an international perspective on drugs. John Rudman is an internationally recognized speaker and discussion facilitator on drug policy issues, particularly as they pertain to children. He is the CEO of Communities Alliances for Drug-Free Youth, or CADFI. In this capacity, he works to help people across industries to develop effective drug policy strategies. He is one of the foremost authorities on marijuana policy and uses that knowledge as chair of the Drug Policy Futures, an international organization addressing drug policy at the United Nations. To learn more about John Redman, check out the High Truth show notes. John Redman. Welcome to High Truths. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. I have a world leader here on our High Truth show, and we're going to learn a lot about the United Nations and world drug policy. But I want to start with having you share about yourself and how you got to this business with our audience. Well, I was asked to uh, join a, a review of drug policy and the in the treaties uh, at the United Nations, they look over the United Nations treaties about supposedly every decade, but the the drug treaties they had uh, hadn't looked them over in quite a while, and so they had this uh, review called Beyond Two Thousand and Eight. They asked NGOs to participate, non governmental organizations, and so I was asked to be a participant of that. And so what that was was it was asking. You know NGOs uh, that had been dealing with drug NGO, issues. Tell us what an NGO is. Non-governmental organizations. So what we call nonprofit organizations. Um, some countries don't have nonprofit status, but they do have non-governmental organizations. So that on the national scene, and um, so they brought these non-governmental organizations from around the world to come together and. And try to agree upon, well, actually, we had to agree upon a basic set of principles on the, the treaties, uh, the drug treaties. So to, 
step back a little bit, there are two main treaties uh, that the United Nations go under, and that's the uh, they're called conventions. So the 1961 Convention on Drugs and the 1971 Convention on Drugs. There's also a 1988 uh, convention which is on psychedelic or psychotropic drugs. And, uh, and then there's also a 1989 convention, and that's on uh, the rights of the child. So uh, the United Nations recognized that children had rights, uh, and Article 3 and Article 33 of the Convention on the Rights of the Child deal with uh, the rights of the child and the, and the rights of the child to remain drug-free. And uh, so one of the things that we do is ensure that that kids are uh, remain a top priority in terms of drug policy. So in other words, if there's a drug policy that's coming before the world or before a country or before a community, uh, for example, and, and let's say it's, you know, like drug legalization, marijuana legalization, if it's for an adult, like, okay, I, I want marijuana to be legalized because I want to smoke and not get arrested. I want to be able to do what I want to do anytime I want for me. But if that's going to negatively impact youth, what that Convention on the Rights of the Child says that because a child never has a vote, rarely has a voice, and it is incumbent upon adults to ensure that those children's rights be held first and foremost then you don't do it. You, you don't pass that policy or that law because it's your job to keep their rights first before your rights. And uh, and sometimes we, we miss that and we lose that when we're looking at policies, especially what the United States has done. And But in the United Nations, they, they haven't forgotten that. That's why it isn't legal worldwide. It isn't, they haven't changed that at the- wow. That's, that's fascinating. Life. What's the definition of a, a child? What age? Well, uh, a child is, uh, you know, up to voting age, you know, whether it's 18 or 21. But the United Nations looks at youth up to, I think it's 35. Oh, wow. Yeah. In terms of that. So Very anyway, yeah, there's a little disagreement I have with that, but that's okay. I would always go by the science age. So I'd go 25, 27, but 35 is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I would think that, you know, in terms of the of brand development, I would say 25 in terms of, you know, whether they're on their own and voting, I would say, you know, a voting age. But anyway, right. they, they look at it differently. Interesting. Um, but Tell us, how did you get to, I mean, did you, were you like a high school kid and, you know, doing model United Nations and saying, I'm going to go to the real United Nations one there. Tell us about how your, your, your path to this. Actually, um, I was, I was in, uh, I was in a whole nother profession and um, I had left that profession and I had gone into the computer business, uh, kind of managing a, a a computer company, and then I had left that, and I was just kind of, you know, looking for a new path. And I answered a, an ad, and they were, you know, an organization was looking for a. 
they kind of did a national search and I just on a whim uh, went to an interview and I, I was going to stay in it for maybe a year or two, but I started looking at what was going on and, uh, and saw some things that I didn't think was right. And, and I just kind of got bit by the bug and, you know, and then a few years uh, later, it was, you know, 2008, and I got invited to be a participant in this international drug policy conversation, and it just kind of grew from there. And uh, I I was uh, trying to retire in 2017. Uh, that's when I moved out to Texas. And then I they asked me to not fully retire and kind of semi-retire. But I was going to give up the international work because uh, I didn't want to do all that. The, the flying uh, overseas is, well, as you know, it's it's a bit arduous. And uh, I, I got a phone call about this World Health Organization review of marijuana policy. And they said, you know, they're they're reviewing it and we'd like you to go over there and take a look at it. And I said, you know, I'm really kind of out, uh, trying to get out of that. And they said, well, we really don't see anybody else that can look at it and have the knowledge that you have and be able to, to deal with it. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go take a look at it. And so I went over there and they had, uh, in, in 2018, they had put forth this, this proposal and I looked at it and I was, I was shocked at what they were proposing and, and actually a bit mad, irate. And uh, what was it? What pissed you off? Well, at first it was the rescheduling, and I thought, well, why? And then it, I, you know, I started to look down the 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 six different proposals, and there were some issues on the treaties they were working on, moving around, and I didn't understand what they were doing. And when I asked questions, nobody could answer them not a single person, uh, which was half of it. So they were legal issues and legal ramifications on the treaties. Nobody could answer them. And then, and yet what they were trying to do was, uh, so it was in an intercessional meeting, they put that out. I got, had a copy. And then at the, at the convention, at this Commission on Narcotic Drugs Convention, they were just trying to get it voted on. Just this rush to say, vote on everything. And there was this one it, uh, issue five that uh, didn't make sense. I called up some friends that were very, that were the gold standard of research on this subject. And I said, is this true? And they said, no, it's not, not at all. The numbers are wrong. The math is wrong. The science is wrong. And what that, the devastation that would cause worldwide was catastrophic. And I remember, so uh, as an NGO, I can't go into closed session meetings with the Commission on Narcotic Drugs, but I do have friends that are state representatives on the Commission on Narcotic Drugs, and I had prepared a, a statement, and I took it to him, 
And I said, please, in this session, bring this up. And he did. And it put into question the, the very nature of these, of the World Health Organization's uh, issues that they were bringing forth. And all I was trying to do was stop the vote, just stop the vote, so that we could discuss it and figure out what was going on. So he did that. And I remember I gave it to him, and he read this couple of page uh, critical, I called it a critical review of the World Health Organization's uh, comments, uh, a review. And he called me into this back room and he said, is this true? And I said, yes. And he goes, no, you have to be certain because it's my reputation on the line. If I carry this in and this isn't true, I will lose credibility forever. Is this true? And I said, yes, this is true. I'm getting it straight from the horse's mouth. This is true. And he went, my God, my God. And I, and I said, I, I back it up with every ounce of reputation that I have. What was the specific issue? What is What was the World Health Organization claiming um, safety of marijuana versus the science that said it wasn't? Or what was it the exact? Okay, so let's go into that. So what, so what, and I think what we can do is we can look at their six recommendations and we can dispense with a few of them pretty quickly. Uh, and then, and then. And these are, down. and just to, to get our listeners back, these are, you're sitting there in the World Health Organization, um, which, you know, uh, you could tell us what you think of that organization, but they came up with, um, these six principles for marijuana, and they presented them to the United Nations to make drug policy. Is that what was happening? Yes. So, okay. so let's step back for a minute to and uh, look at the structure of it. Okay. Just to put that into context. Yes. Yes. Let's do that. Uh, and then we'll go back to the recommendations. Perfect. So, the United Nations General Assembly is in New York. That's where they meet and vote on everything. But they work on specific issues around the world at different locations. Uh, I think there are five of them. Like, for example, if you're going to work on human rights, you work in Geneva, right? That's where they work on all the human rights issues. Uh, if you're, if you're going to work on, uh, they work on, uh, on human population migration. There's an office in, Africa. But if you're going to work on crime and drugs and uh, atomic energy, that's in Vienna, Austria. So, uh, and, and you meet at these offices, and they're, they're very large uh, complexes, United Nations complexes. You go and meet, and you work on these issues, and then they decide pretty much what the issues are. And then those go eventually to New York and the countries vote on them. But they pretty much, it's a fait accompli unless they're so controversial. But And then they'll, they'll be voted on at the United Nations in New York. But um, so at in Vienna is the UNODC or the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime. 
So that's the body that works on drugs and crime. And underneath that is the CND or the Commission on Narcotic Drugs. And, and every year, the Commission on Narcotic Drugs has their annual convention where they, they do business and all the countries come and vote. But they also have intercessional meetings where uh, they, they work on specific issues. Uh, in December, it's usually just kind of working on the budget and some kind of operational issues. But they'll have a number, you know, maybe three or four during the year. And then they'll meet to vote on things in March, first or second week of March. And that's how that works. So although in 2008, we looked at working on generally the, the 61 and 71 conventions on, on drugs, you know, it, were those conventions still valid? Did they need to be updated? Did they need to be changed? Convention means treat. Treaties, yes, exactly. At the time. Right. So, because um, they like to review them. But after that, they had said, well, you know, cannabis hadn't been reviewed. It never had a formal review. Why don't you take a look at that? And let's have the World Health Organization do so. So they theoretically did so. Now, this is the science body, right? They also have the INCB, the International Narcotic Control Board. That is the uh, the International Narcotic Control Board deals with uh, that's the enforcement body of the UNODC. So, and and unfortunately, so our uh, countries complying with the treaty, and they don't have they can inspect, they can review. But really, when it comes down to it, what can what can they do? They can write a very nasty letter to a country, or they can do uh, an article. I think it's I might be wrong. I think it's an Article Thirteen, or I don't remember the exact number. I think it's Article Thirteen, but where they these essentially say, okay, it's kind of like a nuclear bomb on on it, where they're saying, okay, you can you can't. You can't, you can't receive uh, particular uh, chemicals uh, to make drugs from other countries. If you, if you get this article put on you, you can't sell drugs, uh, prescription drugs to other countries. I mean, you get this if you break the treaty. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's like uh, a very harsh, uh, you know, comes down on a country very harsh. Has, has that happened before? Has a country been sanctioned? Not that I know of, you know, that, that I've heard. And and so you get this either a, a, a slap on the wrist or, you know, uh, the nuclear option. It's like, you know, where is the, where is it in between? And so anyway, but that's the INCB. Interesting. Is, yeah. is that the body, like I read recently um, that, you know, one part of the United Nations was accusing the United States for um, not following the drug treaty. Um, what the drug treaty says that um, if your country does not want illegal drug, you should not be selling to that country. And yet states that have legalized marijuana 
are pushing um, their product on other um, borders that don't have legalization. And they've accused the United States and specific states of breaking that treaty. Yeah. And so how the United States has gotten past that uh, is saying, look, it's still illegal nationally. And we still enforce that law. So federal law still says marijuana is illegal. Uh, federal agents still enforce that law. So, you know, you can't you can't run it through the mail system. You can't. It's just still illegal. Um, if so, we're, we're the, the United States as a country is still is, is still complying with the treaty. Right. States so, still have their individual rights. They can do what they want, you know, but but the United Nations has no authority or ability to sanction a state. So that's kind of how it goes. Okay. And so we're in this, you know, catch 22. So the United Nations has different offices. The office that deals with the drugs is in Vienna. Um, the council, the commission, uh, sorry, the commission on narcotics drugs, the CND meets in Vienna's. And then there are NGOs, the nonprofits, the Vienna NGOs that kind of are invited to meet and, and advise um, and uh, with right. your help, uh, Isaac, the sponsor of, of this podcast, has become an official um, NGO um, for the Vienna NGO Committee. So that's pretty cool. Right. And, and so, yeah, the, so the, the NGOs are a very important component of the United Nations because they do the work. They do a lot of the work, right? They get grants and stuff, and they're, they're out there doing the work. So they, the United Nations wants to hear from them. So if you, uh, those that do a lot of work, they have a body of work they put in for what's called ECOSOC status or economic and social uh, council status. And when they get that status, it's because the United Nations says, you know what, we've looked at your body of work. You've had a, a, a breadth and okay. depth of work that says, you know, we recognize that and we're gonna give you special status and allow you to come into the United Nations <clears throat> and participate. And you can speak, you can, you can be there, you know, unaccompanied and, uh, but, uh, and you can be part of a larger group. Uh, you can present papers, you know, a lot of things. You just can't, we just can't vote. That's where the, the nations vote, the, 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 uh, country's representatives vote. We, we can't, but we have a lot of influence because they recognize we we do the work and we are we're there on the front lines in our countries and and they want to hear from us so uh and then those who don't have uh ecosoc status that you know they're not for profits but they and they can't get in to the un unless they're invited by an organization that has ecosoc status and we can bring in you know 10 people each which is you know quite a bit nice so I have a question for you from our good friend, Linda Bridgman-Smith from San Diego. Um, sure. She wanted to know, we kind of started talking about it, but her question was, I think twofold. One is, what's the United Nations position, official position on marijuana, both recreationally and medicinally? And then she also has a question about how is the United Nations dealing with the issue of um, a cannabis and prescription medications, um, especially how they interact uh, together. So maybe we could tackle uh, Linda's question about the United Nations position, official position on marijuana, and you could tell us and how that 
attempted to be changed or how how it has changed? Right. So the the official position is on recreational uses, it's still against the treaties, and so uh, it, you know it's outside. It's, it, but in terms of medicinal, it it supports the uh, you know the science of medicine. And so the question that comes to to my mind is, can can you treat marijuana as a medicine and as a commodity both? And I I think you can't. And I think that's where the issue really comes to bear. Uh, Because here in the United States, we're trying to treat it as a commodity, you know, like tobacco or orange juice or anything like that, and have pot shops and you know, whatever. But then we're also trying to treat it as a medicine and have research and all that. But how it's very difficult then to say, okay, well, we're going to allow pharmaceutical companies to, to work and, and, and make medicines and, and research and all of the, the, the costs and effort that goes into that. And then have somebody go off and do the very same thing. And you have this you know, cannabis shop that that has CBD, and this guy says, "Well, you know, this cures you know a bad hair day, and this cures you know fungus on the toes or whatever." And you really have no idea. Uh, but then they say, "Well, this cures cancer too." I mean, I, I have a guy that a friend of mine, actually, it's a family member, who drove all the way to Colorado to get. Uh, to a pot shop to get CBD for a friend who had cancer to bring it all the way back to Texas. Uh, and because some guy who had no training or whatever said that this would cure cancer. And I, I remember we were going honey and before we ever went into the woods to go hunting, he dropped the tailgate down on his truck and said, let's talk about this. And I go, well, I came here to go hunt, not to bait marijuana. He goes, no, we need to talk about this. And I said, well, why? And and he's just said, well, because I think marijuana cures cancer. I go, okay, which cancer? And he goes, well, what do you mean? I go, well, there's over 300 cancers. Which one? And he had no response to that. And he said, well, any. And I go, well, if that was true, then why did Bob Marley die of cancer? Because he smoked more marijuana than probably anybody on earth, and he died of cancer. So how does that work? And, and I said, and he just didn't have any. I go, can we go hunting now? Can we go into the woods? Can we? But it's just, it, it, it's like, let's talk about, if you want to talk about science and research, let's do that. But if we're going to just make it a commodity and make claims to things that there are no research, then how do we give people, research companies, the support to actually do that research and be able to have the, you know, prescription drug that, uh, and, and, and be able to go down that path? I just don't see how we do both. I, I just love talking to you because you get me to think about new kind of concepts of commodity versus medicine, and you can't have it both ways. I always thought that it's really, um, well, hearing you talk, it's like, well, let's bring back the snake oil, right? Where you don't really know what you're buying and it claims to be good for everything. 
Um, and it really did the whole concept degraded the medical profession because, you know, that's why the public doesn't trust the medical profession because they don't know who to, to believe and ensuring that integrity of the FDA process of what's a medicine and what's safe. They're trying to un, undo that. Um, right. And, and, you know, if we want to say, look, I want to smoke marijuana and get high, then say it, yeah, but don't, don't use the medicinal use of marijuana to get into that and get what you want. Just say what you want. But right. but people weren't ready for that. So they they used that narrative to to soften the the blow. And and I think what they're what they're mis what they're confusing is different chemicals, many of them not studied including toxins that can, and carcinogens and genotoxic effects versus cannabinoids that may have therapeutic effects. And there's a lot of potential for research. And there are some FDA approved cannabinoids that, that are available, um, which, which we're not arguing. But when you mix the two together, then you're, you're confusing things. I think there's some fascinating research on cannabinoids out there. Yeah. That 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 I you know I want to see studied and turned into medicines if you know if the research pans out the way it I, I hope it will. Right. But so back to the United Nations position on medicinal is still okay or still scheduled or what's their? Yeah, no, it's still yeah. So in terms of medicinal, they're absolutely open to that. The thing that um, and and now getting into the the five or six issues that. The World Health Organization was, was pushing was that was shocking to me. So let's get to those six now that we know, you know, kind of the the different and committees. Do you know who's and behind that. that whole World Health Organization cannabis? Is it is it what's the same? You know, George Soros promotion of legalization, normalization. Is it that same influence that's having you know an effect on our country, but also on the world? Well, let's have that conversation at two o'clock on the 20th. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll tell you that then. Okay. I'm not so sure I want to do that. Uh, um, on on the show. All right. Broadcast. I smell something. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, the six issues from the World Health Organization. Yeah. So, so, um, so let's, let's narrow it down to what we can easily discussed and kind of all, you know, all six issues. So there were, there were these six issues. Three of them were about the treaties, you know, on whether cannabis should be in, because cannabis was in the 61 treaty and it was in the 71 treaty. And some, some issues were in 61, some issues were in 71. And they were saying, okay, well, let's take it out of 71 and put it in 61 or, this, and, and we're like, well, why? Why, why, why are we going to take it out of one and combine it into one? Well, it'll make it simpler. Well, there were some issues we didn't know in 61 that we knew in 71. Why would you put it in 60? There, there were questions, and they were all legal questions. And when we asked the World Health Organization about that, they didn't have any answers. They just said, look, this is what we're recommending, either Either accept it or don't. We don't care. Really? Well, okay then. So then 
No. So those three were legal issues that we needed that and and to change a treaty requires every country in the world to agree unanimously. It's not a majority vote thing. It is unanimous. And that was one thing I learned in the 2008, you know, beyond 2008 uh, project that it had to be unanimous. Uh, and just a little side note on that. It's kind of interesting. Well, how do you get a unanimous vote on anything? So right. the way it works is <laughs> we get there. It was a week long. It was 15 pages on this thing that we were we were agreeing upon. And the way it works is you, you take a paper and you read the first paragraph of 15 pages. And so you hope you get through five pages a day, right? Or three pages a day. And you read the first and you go, okay, does anybody have any issues with the first paragraph? And if nobody does, great, you go to the second paragraph. But if you do, on the first paragraph, someone go, yeah, second sentence, third word. Uh, you said abuse. I I. I have an issue with the word abuse, and I think it should be use. You're like, okay, anybody disagree with that? Yeah, I do. So you caucus. So we had 15 people from the United States. We, so we had three groups. Five of us would get up, and let's say we had the we were on the use side. We'd go in there to argue the use issue. And then there's a bunch of people that would argue the abuse side. What should it be use or abuse or overuse or whatever? And you go in there and in this closed session and you argue it out. And sometimes vehemently, sometimes with, with <laughs> fervor, <laughs> with screaming, sometimes almost at one time physical abuse. And, uh, and then you come out. And with some compromise, and you propose that to the, the group who now on page two or hopefully and or three, depending on how long you're arguing, and you propose that. And does everyone agree? No one disagrees because no one wants to go back in and argue. Because if, if here's this group that comes back and here's the proposal, who's going to go and disagree? Because it's like, okay, fine, then you go in and you argue your point, right? So it's like, okay. That's the that's the compromise, and that's what goes in, and you go down to the next one until you get through all fifteen pages, and it takes a whole week. Wow, interesting. So, all right, so back that's to the, how it works. That's how that's the that's how the sausage is made, um, and uh, that that you were able to. Um, so on this particular contest, one, yeah, yeah. So this one uh, was. A little different in that. Uh, so these three issues, at, at, at the end of the day, five five point two. The second one was people weren't going to vote on these legal ones because there there weren't answers to it. Nobody understood what was going to happen. So three of the six were pretty much not going to pass, and we knew that. So now it gets down to three that were really about policy change on drugs. The, the first one, number one, was really changing, and I'll just read it. It says, the committee recommends that cannabis 
and cannabis resin be deleted from Schedule 4 of the 61 single convention on narcotic drugs. But the committee recommends that uh, Durabinol and its uh, sterile isomers, Delta 9, THC, be added to Schedule 1. So in other words, they're taking it out of 4 and, and putting it into 1. Oh, so that's important. I want us to understand, because we had a little discussion, explain the whole scheduling and how um, just listening to this conversation, how United Nations scheduling and the United States scheduling is not the same. So it... so any nation is allowed to have its own scheduling, you know, uh, as long as it's, you know, it, and it, it, it more, it, uh, as long as it defines it more specifically, you know, not less. So the United States has five schedules. Uh, the United Nations has four. The United Nations has one schedule one, two, three. The fourth is not under three. It's kind of equal in a way to one. So there's this T and then it goes down. So schedule so, one is like illegal. That's like, you know, heroin. it's illegal, but it has uh, potential for medical use and can be, you know, researched and all that. Schedule four does, uh, does not. So, and then like Canada has schedule A, B, C, and D, you know, but it's just a kind of linear. And then the United States has five schedules, which are very linear. But it, it's so, the same order. So United States schedule one is the most dangerous and the United Nations schedule one is most dangerous. Um, I believe schedule four is the most dangerous for the United Nations. And then schedule one has, you know, some potential for medicinal use. So that's okay. pretty much what it was saying, you know. Okay. So marijuana has than than the United States, where Schedule One has no medicinal use. Right. Right. Okay. Exactly. So okay. what it was saying was we're going to take a look at you know marijuana and, and say that it has some that components of marijuana, not the whole plant, but components of it have uh you know some uh you know has potential for medicinal use. Okay. Which, you know, Which uh, the United States says, okay, the plant has no medical use. You can't go smoke it. Uh, just like, you know, willow bark has, you can't go chew that. It doesn't have any medicinal use, but components of it you can put into another schedule will have medicinal use. And that's pretty much what that was saying. You know, so it, it, the United States is pretty much following what the UN is saying in terms of its schedule one. It's just, saying it a different way uh and it's not you know but but to suggest that it's you know it's uh any different than what the rest of the world is looking at it's not you know and, and unfortunately i think it was the new york times that came out and said oh it's this whole big huge change and finally you know the united nations is looking at it you know in a whole new way and it's it i, I I didn't see it that way and nobody else did, but that's kind and, of misleading. And, so the United Nations approved rescheduling marijuana, but people who just read that in the New York Times or even me listening or reading an article thinks like, oh, okay, well then we're doing it wrong in the United States. But that's not exactly what happened because of well, here's United what happened Nations. was all every every recommendation of the World Health Organization put forth got rejected every single one, except for that one. And so the only thing that they they reported on was that one thing, which was really not a really big deal. 
what was a bigger deal was the things underneath it. And actually, uh, Kevin called him up and said, hey, can you know, I think you're missing the point here. Kevin Sabet from Smart Approaches of Marijuana. Yeah, I said, yeah, I think you're missing the point here. The, the, the story's kind of down below and and you should maybe expand the article and talk about that. And they said, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> so I was, you know, disappointed in that. Uh, but it's misleading. It's very misleading because it sounds like, and the news stories and the courts, even, you know, uh, Washington State wanted to reschedule marijuana. The courts um, believe that, oh, well, the World Health Organization is rescheduling it. Maybe we should too, um, without understanding um, the details that you just, you know, uh, helped us understand that the schedules are different and these recommendations were rejected. Yeah, and it's hard to even to explain it because, you know, it's this T system versus the linear system, you know, it's it's hard to compare, you know, it's, you know, like apples to oranges kind of thing. So, you know, you and I have trouble explaining it. So right. it's just not the same. I think that's our Good. challenge to be able to learn how to how to explain that. Yeah. Um, so the results of the vote, things turned out. You're able to save the day. Yeah. So what? Out. So let's talk about five point five, which is, okay. uh, and so really, let's just it's one through six. Let's talk about issue five, which is called five point five. But we'll just call it a five. So here's what they. And I'll just read it. So we'll read it, what they put forth, and then I'll talk about- And they is the World Health Organization? The World Health Organization, okay. yeah, the ECDD is. Uh, so what the ECDD is, it's the Expert Committee on uh, uh, on uh, Drug Dependence. So it's a committee under the World Health Organization, but it's supposed to be all science-based, okay. all science-based. So I'll read 5.5. The committee recommends that a footnote be added to Schedule 1 of the 1961 Convention on Narcotic Drugs to read preparations containing predominantly cannabidiol and not more than 0.2% of Delta 9 THC are not under international control. So what they're saying is, you know, take CBD. And we're not going to put it under, we're not going to have it a scheduled drug. Essentially, as it, you read further, it's just, they're saying it's a benign drug. It, it, it doesn't have any psychoactive effects. It doesn't harm you in any way. And since you can't really get THC out of it, we're going to let a certain amount of THC be in there. And you can put it in a health food store and buy it. No big deal. That's what we're going to say. So I called up. I don't know how far I should go into this. So because of because of my work over the years and at working at different conferences and stuff, I I had uh, and listening to different other speakers, one of the you know speakers, I uh, I become friends with GW Pharmaceuticals, uh, the one of the presenters there, and and in 
In this uh, review, the ECDD said that, look, GW Pharmaceuticals is the gold standard of research in the world on, on, on CBD and THC. They're the gold standard. And we're using their research to say, this is what we, we're recommending. Since that's what they have in their research, in their product, we're going to take that and say, let's just deschedule it. This, their CB, you know, what they have in their CBD. Let's just deschedule, put it on health food shelves, make it like a vitamin and do that. So I called them up and I went, is this true? And they went, no, that is not true at all. And I said, they're recommending 0.2%. Is that what, is that the amount of THC in your product? They went, no, no, it's not. Yeah. First, first of all, the FDA they're rounding up. It was 0.15%. But, but the FDA said, came back during our trials and they said, that's too much. So you're going to have to take that 0.15% and you're going to have to change it to 0.10%. So that round up from 0.15 is now 0.10. So that's half. So yeah. you go from you go from 0.2 to now 0.1. You just cut it in half. You know, this is just fascinating. Okay. When you go to the FDA, they're cutting the amount allowable in a in a drug. And GW Pharmaceuticals, yeah. and we've had them here on High Truths um, right. uh, on a podcast. Um, but uh, the FDA really has rigor, but when it came to, um, and and because their job is safety, consumer safety, when it but, came to Congress, they doubled it, right? They went to, they changed the definition of hemp from 0.15 to 3%, 0 but, but the story's not, doesn't end there. <laughs> okay. Then, okay, so that's 0.1%, but that's in... That's just in the in the product, you know, in the in the base product. But in the in the active pharmaceutical ingredient. So you in any product, like I don't know, take a cough medicine, it has an active pharmaceutical ingredient in it. You know, it's like, okay, what is this cough medicine made up of? It's made up of the active ingredient is this, and then it's got, you know, uh, alcohol or water or whatever that it's dissolved in. Right. So you, you got the active pharmaceutical ingredient of 0.1%. Then it's put into the the act the the drug that goes to the consumer, the consumer product, and that's diluted uh 10 times. So now it's to the product is 0.01%. Right. So the difference between what the World Health Organization was suggesting go on a on a vitamin shelf was 20 times more potent than what the gold standard was for the FDA or GW Pharmaceuticals. 20 times wow. more potent. So if you were to take what their recommendation was in a vial, it could get a, a kid high 17 times. 
it was outlandish. Right. They got their math wrong. Or they didn't or did, check. Yeah. Or did they? Or did so they? <laughs> I'm sitting there and now it's like, what the what the heck? And you know, and I so I I have this letter, I give it to my friend, and I said, I I'm telling you. I'm putting my my reputation on the line. I'm giving it to you, and I'm asking you to put your reputation on the line. He goes into the C and D closed session. He presents that, just reads at least one paragraph, and says this is wrong. So what do they do? They hold. They don't vote. And now, anytime you hold, now you got time to present. So I go to the intercessional meeting, which is a couple months later. And they start asking, the countries start asking the World Health Organization questions. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll get back to you on that. So a couple months later is another intercessional meeting. And they ask questions. And one of these is a, a security council nation, you know, one of the big ones. And the World Health Organization says, oh, put it in writing. And they're like, excuse me, we asked you last session. And they go, yeah, put it in writing. Uh, what? Excuse me? Put it in writing? And I'm like, put it in writing? And I'm just sitting here as an NGO way back in the back going, what's going on here? And obviously, and so I start talking to nations and they're really upset because now what the hell? And so I, then there's a, the next one, this is the third meeting and I request to speak at the next one. And I put together this speech, essentially calling them out on 5.5, that the math is wrong that, you know, all the things that I just told you mm -hmm. from 0 0.2 to, to 0 0.01, 20 times different, what it would do to a child, all of that stuff. And I'm at, I'm a lot. So anyway, now we're at the third meeting and they said, okay, we put it in writing. What's the answer? And the WHO says, we gave you the information in our report when we first sent it out. Didn't you read it? And in the report, there's nothing. It's, it's a nothing. No science, no nothing, no explanations, no nothing. They just said it was in there and it wasn't. And, and I'm just like, what's going on here? And here I am, an NGO, not a nation. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And it, this is the third day. There's only the intercessions, you know, three days. And at the very end, the chair says, "Mr. Redmond, do you want to speak? You still want to speak?" I went, "Yeah, I do." And so I, I did. I was given five minutes. I think I went to seven. They just let me keep going. And I finished and I called them out in a nice way because there's ethics. And I said, I thank the World Health Organization for their, their exceptional work. 
However, I think they've made some mistakes and some math. There's here it is. And, you know, what the hell? And I just, and I, that was it. I, that was the close. And I finished. And Is that an he, official record? Is there an official record that you call them out yeah. on the report? Yeah. Okay, good. Steve <laughs> filmed. <laughs> yeah. and, a, and I had the speech if you wanted. And then I also did another one. I even have the that one uh, filmed. I can send it to you if you want. Cool. It's like five minutes, and uh, and and I thought, man, am I in trouble? Because you just don't call out the World Health Organization. You just don't do it. You know, they're the the, the world science body. So I called. I had called them out on it, and I thought, I'm done. And anyway, then he throws the gavel down and all of a sudden I got up and I was surrounded by by nation representatives and angry or happy pat me on the back shaking my hand oh. wanting to talk to me <laughs> brought me in a back room and there was like 20 nations wanting my information wanting to meet with me I went over to uh one of the Secure one of the top Security Council, you know, countries. I went over to their uh, uh, embassy uh, the next day. They wanted to meet with me. They wanted my information. They wanted, I mean, it was like, and that person was chair of the UN, no, of the, he was just about to become the EU's uh, chair of the drug committee, you know, he was like, we've been trying to get this information. We, we hadn't seen it. Uh, here you are bringing it. Now we can fight. And then uh, one of the African nations, and he, here's the thing. And I think this is important. What, one of the things that the World Health Organization said was, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You know, this is just our recommendation. If you don't want to buy it, you know, if you don't want it, then you don't have to. You can vote on it. But if a nation doesn't want to embrace it, they don't have to. Well, guess what? If you're a developing nation and there was one African nation that was just livid over this, some nations like this one African nation, they don't have their own Office of National Drug Control Policy. For example, they don't have their own drug policies. Whatever the United Nations policy is, that's what they do. So if if the UN was to vote on this WHO recommendation, that would be their policy. They knew the devastation that would happen. I don't know if you know it, but Africa has a huge marijuana problem. This would have increased that tenfold. Their public health system couldn't handle that. They knew it. And, and their ambassador came the next intersectional meeting and spoke out against it fervently and said, what are you doing? If, if this were to happen, it would devastate our country. So anyway, by, by us- It was really interesting to hear which countries are opposing marijuana, which when, when I- you know, was at the United Nations and a really a shout out to Kevin Savet and Smart Approaches to Marijuana and um, the Drug-Free American Foundation for inviting Isaac to present. Uh, but it was my first time in which countries and 
what they talked about of why, how they feel about marijuana really struck me. And the one that struck me the most was Syria. They're in the middle of war. And they were saying, this is affecting our young male soldiers, essentially, and, and destroying the population, really their country. Um, if I was the enemy of Syria, I'd say, all right, let's send them all the weed uh, because uh, it affects it, it's, it affects their soldiers. And just so you know, and I want to give a shout out to to Smart Approaches to Marijuana and, and to Drug-Free America. So when it got to that point, you know, once I did that speech, then it was, you know, then it was on, you know, like uh, uh, Junior Nebraska Rodeo on, you know. <laughs> and and so I was calling up Kevin going, okay, you know, this is a little over my head. And I was getting counsel from him. And I also called up Amy Ronhausen and, and said, you know, it's, it's time I need I need some support. You know, I need some help. And so uh, I, I engaged her and got her help. And we wrote a, a, a paper on NGOs, you know, being against this WHO. And she helped get uh, NGOs uh, to come on board that letter and and get logos and sign-ons. And we presented that to the CND and things like that. So anyway, so shout out to, to Amy and Kevin. They were a huge support, you know, on, on that huge. Couldn't have done it without them. The day um, that did not go through. The one thing that went through is this rescheduling, but it's not really what we think about rescheduling. And, um, you know, in U.S. FDA language, it's the world health definition. Yeah, um, and that's what, and that's a thing to to consider. Because so I have the votes here. Okay. And here's the six votes. So, you know, we focused on 5.5. And this goes to show you that when NGOs focus on an issue, present it well, band together, lay out their, their issues, present the data, here's what happens. So issue one, which we really, you know, and even the the United States voted to on on number one to to have that pass. So it wasn't like it, it was controversial at all. And it but it passed uh 27 to 25, it only passed by two votes with one abstention. So it was a little controversial in terms of that. So it was tight, but it it, it did pass. 5.2 was, was what, that. What was that issue? That one. That was the, the scheduling from four okay. to one. 25. 5.2 was, was one of those treaty ones. And it, it was uh, 28, it was 23 in favor, 28 against. It was just, you know, uh, and with two abstentions, so the abstentions kind of go to the 28. So it was kind of, you know, pretty much defeated. Um, 5.3 wasn't voted on because it was attached to 5.2. So uh, number three was attached to number two, wasn't voted on. And then I'll, I'll just drop down to 5.6. Number six wasn't voted on because it was attached to, to number two. So there were those three, all of those legal treaty issues all of them got defeated because it just they were too uh they, they, they were all too much too many questions but then it gets down to so but number one passed number four um which was a, a teacher thing uh it 
it didn't pass uh, by five votes, but then it got down to the one that we pushed and it in favor was only six votes. There were 43 against and four abstentions. So, I mean, we crushed them because we said, this is just devastating. We rallied nations. We showed them the science. And, you know, and, and here was the science-based body of the United Nations that couldn't defend their own positions. And uh, it really, it, it really hurt them uh, credibility-wise. I remember one of the um, very important country getting up and, and casting their vote, but not until they chastised the WHO for how they did it and how they presented it. And just, they were, they were clearly disgusted by it. Yeah. Sounds like some type of political or profit or some type of agenda for you to make such a mistake. You know, I can, (laughs) why they would present it, present it poorly, present it incorrectly, and then push for it to be voted on quickly was just, it just, yeah, it didn't pass the smell test. And then the other thing was they used, they used words that they shouldn't have used. For example, in, in there, they used preparation. Preparation is not a term defined in the treaty. Drug is, drug is a term. It's a very clearly defined term. But if they used drug, it wouldn't have been able to be, their narrative wouldn't have been able to use, be used the way they used it. Instead, they used preparation. It's like, why did you use preparation? Why didn't you use drug? Well, because if you used the word drug, you couldn't use the sentence the way you used it. So why, why'd you do that? You know, there were so many questions on the way they did this mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, I didn't sit in the, in the committee meetings, in the backdoor rooms, but none of it smelled right. None of it. Is this, is this issue going to come back? Is the World Health Organization going to come back again or? I don't see how they could okay. do this again. Now, I do believe that they could put it off on another committee and try to do it in a, but the WHO, they lost so much credibility. I don't think they could touch it for a decade. Right. Yeah. It's it's interesting to talk about the world, you know, the United Nations people say, oh, you know, I just heard again in Seattle courtroom where they're trying to reschedule uh, marijuana saying the World Health Organization supports rescheduling um, or the United Nations support rescheduling. But actually just this year, the and um the international narcotic control boards the law enforcement ads said that you know a very clear statement um that says in all jurisdictions where cannabis has been legalized data shows that cannabis related health problems have increased and so they're going to have to fight that data and that's what i see is often hidden people talk about it helps cancer it helps aids it helps crohn's it helps fibromyalgia it's good for everything um Right. And and there may be a little bit of truth somewhere, but you can't make those statements without countering the harms, and especially well, on young people and what you said about children. Yeah, and also in my speech, you know, one of the things I asked, I said, look, are there side effects to CBD in your research? 
GW, which by the way has been bought out by Jazz Pharma. So, but um, I, they said, absolutely. You know, there's there's no such thing as you know no side effects. Exactly. You know, yeah. There's no such thing as no side effects. If somebody tells you there's no side effects, there's there's uh, that's a red flag for hidden information, which I think I is why people didn't had issues with the COVID vaccine and full disclosure, I was like first in line to get my vaccine um, as a germaphobe emergency physician. But when you say there's no side effects, that's just not true. You just have to be <laughs> honest. Right? You can you can drink too much water and have a side effect. I, I, I was an expert witness on a case just like that of somebody who died, sadly, um, a, a prisoner who died because he had, a, you know, diabetes insipidus and he was allowed to drink too much water, which dropped his sodium and he died. So, yes, that can happen. So so I asked him, OK, what are the side effects in your research so far? Because, you know, they've been doing their the testing on CBD. It's ongoing. And so and and. Again, the World Health Organization said, this is a benign drug. There are no side effects. Right. Really? really? Okay. Anxiety, weight gain, insomnia, vomiting, nausea, aggressive behavior, irritability, confusion, fatigue, somnolence, gastrointestinal disturbances, and then 10% of their patients, liver toxicity. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't, still do the research and that there isn't some positive outcomes for the CBD that they're working on. But that's uh, under doctor supervision. Uh, and a and risk then, benefit profile, right? For any, right. you know, it doesn't matter if I'm going to give you amoxicillin for your strep throat. I have to, you know, you have to think, you know, benefits, risks, and all, there's always a risk, but it, the benefits have to outweigh the risk. And, right. uh, and, and as you're looking, as you're you're doing this new drug and uh, or in this new way, then you're looking at you know you're you're going and doing lab results on a weekly basis or whatever, and you're and then a doctor's looking at those results, going, okay, well let's back off this. So right. you know that liver toxicity. Once you start to see that, it's early on, and you can back off. Uh, well, I thought you were going to say because the FDA la label for Epidiolex, which is pure plant-based CBD from Jazz Pharmaceuticals, on the FDA label, it says suicidal ideations. I was waiting for you to say that one. <laughs> well, yeah. there were, I, I didn't list them all, but yeah, yeah. you know, so, yeah. but, but, but you're under a doctor's supervision. It's not from, you're, you're not going to a pot shop in Colorado from a guy, you know, that has, you know, what background, what training, what, what education does this person well, have? The, those, the pot shops are, remind me very much of the pill mills um, with the opioid epidemic where you would go and you would say, my back hurts. And you'll say, give me $300 and here's 300 Percocets. Um, it was not really following you know, the standard of care of medical care. And the same thing now, if you go get a medical card, you pay 50 bucks, I guess it's cheaper, and you get a medical card, but nobody checked your blood pressure and said, whoa, your blood pressure is way high. You better go to the ER and not take something that's going to make your blood pressure higher. Um, nobody asked, well, what other medicines are you taking to make sure that we don't have any drug interactions before I give you this medical card? There's really no scrutiny. The same uh, lack of standards as the opioid pill mills. I, I see a real correlation there. Yeah, you, you go into a pot shop and they go, okay, well, this bud, you know, fixes this ailment. 
and this one's good for anxiety, and this one's good for blood. Okay, well, what bl double blind study did you do on that purple bud? Right. You or know? what harms? Or what harms? Like people take things. People come to me all the time and say, "Can I take this?" I, you know. And the first thing is, I'm not going to tell people. People spend a lot of money on these things. I won't tell them don't take it. The first thing I check is if it's harmful. I mean, my parents also, they take all sorts of herbals and whatever. And and I just check and make sure it doesn't interact with their medicine and doesn't hurt them in any way. And if it is what we learned in medical school, then you just are making expensive urine and it's like, fine, take whatever you want. But but first you have to make sure that it's not harmful. And if it is, and then I would say, you know what? It interacts with your other medicines. You need to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, um, there are drug to drug interactions with CBD. I, I don't know what they are, but 500 of them. A What's lot that? of them, a lot of them, like 500. Um, one of the projects that I did is like, okay, people don't want to talk about marijuana. What, how can I find a way where most people would want to know about that? And, and I figured that out through medications. So we, we did a study, we sent out like 10,000 info cards uh, in patients' prescriptions at pharmacies across San Diego and surveyed people. And over 90% wanted to know about drug interactions with uh, marijuana products, CBD and THC. And wherever I go, I teach people to do one thing is go to drugs.com. I do this with all, all friends. You could do that next time you go hunting and somebody asks you about marijuana, say, take out your phone. Go to drugs.com, click the drug interaction checker, put in cannabis for THC or cannabidiol for CBD, and then put in your other medicines. Put in your lisinopril for your blood pressure or your other medicines and check. And if there's no interaction, that's like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, it doesn't address the liver issue, but at least there's no drug interactions. But there are 500 medications that interact with the cytochrome P150 system of your liver and CBD and THC do too. And I just have people read the reaction to themselves. And I've had patients go, all right, I don't need any lab work or anything. I know what's going on now in my body. I, you know, I get it. And, and uh, it's, it's a great method. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I try not to take, I don't take anything, you know, I don't take well, anything. Some, right some medicines, are there because they could save your life. <laughs> you know, sure. they, you need to be on. Because I've had another guy end up in the emergency department, uh, older man taking a whole bunch of medicines and he's complaining to his grandson that, you know, I'm taking all these medicines and I can't sleep and I don't feel good. And and the grandson said, oh, well, try this, grandpa. And he gave him a brownie and he slept well. He slept so well, he didn't wake up and had to be admitted with encephalopathy for two days, you know, with good intentions, people are believing the snake oil. I think we've lost integrity. The medical community has lost integrity um, in, uh, in people not knowing what to believe. Well, I think that um, when we, when there are new medications that could be potentially life-saving, like, you know, in the eighties with the AIDS medications, you know, what, what's the harm if somebody's dying of just trying to, you know, give us a, now the FDA, we have, you know, new laws on that to where you can get life-saving medications to, right. to, to those individuals. That's changed. Not a lot of people know about those laws. Compassionate but, use. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Compassionate use where, you know, the doctor at the operating table could, you know, 
do it right then and there. And I, I think there's a you know people don't don't know about those, and the FDA lost some credibility on that. But you know, uh, I do. But still, you know, the the initial reason for all of that, where people were just you know the, the whole snake oil uh, issue, where they, you know, you, you had something that felt good and promised to cure everything. It, we've got the marijuana industry that's the medical medicinal marijuana that's come uh, 180 degrees or 360 degrees back around to that whole snake oil claim. Yeah. You go, you go in and it, it, it promises to cure everything. And yet no, nobody does anything about it. Owen challenges them on it. Oh, and we're, we've allowed politicians to play doctor because you can go in the legislature and it says you can use this for glaucoma and fibromyalgia and, and cancer. And it's like they're, I mean, medicine is not practiced by a list like that. That's not why we go to medical school for 12 years of training, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, tell us, John, about drug policy's future. New group that you're heading um, that's advising the United Nations. Yeah, the Drug Policy Futures is a group that was started. Gosh, uh, you know, I'm not even sure. I I was uh, asked to take it on uh, three years ago during the COVID time. So there was uh, in the last few years, you know, not a lot happened. And then last year was the first time we were back uh, since uh, since the COVID. Uh, issue and uh so but it was one of the things that we needed to do was kind of get together and those of us who felt a certain way about you know uh prevention and treatment you know could we you know was there a way to get together and kind of support our ideas and that was drug policy futures and uh we we just work at the un in vienna although there's some questions about should we expand to uh, uh, Geneva because there's a lot there's a lot of issues um, on drug policy that also deal with human rights and that's sometimes a backdoor on drug policy human the human rights issues that people use to uh, to kind of push drug policy in a certain direction so for example um, there was one thing that I was I have I have been kind of stunned at, but maybe not. Uh, you know, there there's some people that are saying that you know drug court should be uh, outlawed. It should be a human rights violation because you're forcing people uh, into treatment, and that should be their choice. When when it it is their choice, you know, when it's the last resort, people who go to drug court like failed everything else. This is a last opportunity to save someone's life. Right. And drug court is, you know, it is a choice. It's either, you know, you go to drug court, you, you know, and you go through that, that program or you go to jail and they're saying, well, that's really not a choice. You know, you're, you're forced into that so that you don't go into jail. So, you know, but they're saying, no, that, that should be a, you know, human rights violation. You shouldn't be forced into treatment. But then I saw this video that was put out that they were trying to push onto the nations, you know, influence nations where they were saying, you know, if, if you have, if you're a parent, you have a child that's addicted 
you shouldn't force, as a parent, you shouldn't force them into treatment as a parent. The, the child has the right not to go into treatment. And if you do so, that should be a human rights violation as a parent. You shouldn't, you know, you should be stopped. Like, well, if I have a kid and if I have a child and I feel that, you know, they need treatment because they could commit suicide or they could have an overdose, whatever. And I'm that child's parent or caregiver or whatever. It's my, I, I, I will make that decision for them. But they're saying, you know, they want to. I think to they want to, sounds like they want to make it like sex. You can have birth control without asking your parents. Um, yeah. Which is so, different than drugs because drugs is more like, well, you have diabetes and your child can decide, I don't want to take my insulin. Yeah, I, I, I had a conversation with someone on the, let's say, the other side of the aisle, and uh, they wanted active users to be part of drug policy creation. I said, I, I can't abide by that. You know, they're, by definition, those active users aren't, you know, of sound mind. And they said, well, you know, we we have people with AIDS that are part of the AIDS policy Making, I go well. Yeah, uh, but that—that's. But I the goal of the people with AIDS is to get better stop their disease. Exactly, that's not the goal necessarily. It's not for them to continue their AIDS. <laughs> right, I said I see it differently, and that was. Yeah. You remember when I talked about the, uh, the, the caucus? That was one of the very nasty discussions that we had in a closed room. I couldn't abide by that. They wanted active drug use to be part of policy. And I said, I, you know. Wow. I just see where this is heading, where this is coming from. Um, uh, Really a a travesty, really. It's, it's, it's a movement to normalize drug use and it's, it's um, infected us in the United States and now on the world stage. Sure. So drug policy futures was to bring a group of people that are like-minded and in that regard and, and so, you know, we have a set of principles and bring people together to. to and you have to many different countries. Um, this is a, a group of NGOs from um, different all, countries. all over the world. Yeah. 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 And, and, and who support our our values, our concepts. Uh, so Isaac, as a member, would we be part of your drug policies future? Absolutely. You could right. absolutely be a, a partner in that. Yeah. Yeah, we'd love to join and learn from you. And you have world experience also for many years working with youth because you talked about youth and and human rights and your expertise, I think, comes from CADFI, um, a group that you were headed um, working with youth for many years. What is your world message for youth as it comes to drug prevention? And what have you learned over the years from that? So what I've learned is, you know, um, that for youth, I think the most important thing is that youth have dreams, goals, and aspirations. When they have that, then they make positive choices. And and then they have a certain set of life skills that keep them in the right direction. If, if when, when youth have that direction, when they have that focus, then if they want to become whatever, let's say they want to be an astronaut. And then somebody says, Hey, you know, how about pot to smoking that joint, get them to become that astronaut or get them to become that, you know, 
whatever they want to be, uh, you know, get them to, to become that doctor. It, and typically the answer is no, if they want to become that, you know, football, that, you know, world athlete, uh, that's, uh, that's where we work with them on, you know, getting them to think about where they want to be, not, uh, and not deter from that to, to get them That's to a beautiful that. message. That's very uplifting. Um, you know, it's not, don't do drugs. It's like, what are your goals in life and how are you going to get there? I love that. I want to say thank you to Linda Bridgman Smith. Um, thank you so much for your question, your friendship, your mentorship for many years. I want you to enjoy retirement and camping and um, continuing our friendship. And thank you, John, my friend, John Redman, national world renowned expert on drug policy. Thank you so much for your mentorship, your friendship, um, leadership over the years. And uh, I look forward to learning a lot more from you as I have today. Thanks for having me. Uh, and I was really pleased to see you after, you know, kind of being gone for so many years out of San Diego and then seeing you in Vienna. So yeah, like, how did that happen? Check out who's I know, there. <laughs> how are you there? So anytime if, if you need uh, let anyone come here, huh? <laughs> well, if you ever need, uh, if you ever need a sponsor for Vienna, um, we're always there for you. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support of our sponsor. A sincere and warm thank you to Isaac, the International Academy on the Science and Impact of Cannabis, doctors educating on the harms of marijuana. Visit IsaacOne.org, that's I-A-S-I-C-1.org, to view their library that translates medical journals for public understanding, listen to their speaker series, and follow the science on marijuana. High Truth producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Oni Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths.